This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 115 of the On The Banks Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thank you so much for joining us once again. A lot to talk about, lots going on with Rutgers sports. Now we're transitioning into winter sports with fall sports really on the, the, the stretch run here. Big news, obviously, football, unexpected blowout victory over Indiana in Indiana. Uh, largest margin of victory for Rutgers since joining the Big Ten in 2014. Not necessarily a huge surprise that they won the game. Indiana was winless in Big Ten play going into it. They've had really a disaster of a season. But um, I think it was the way in which Rutgers won that was so uh, both surprising and satisfying. So we're going to focus on that this episode. We'll get to that in a little bit. Did want to recap a few things. Field hockey, unfortunately, season ended uh, earlier than uh, had hoped for. The number one seed uh, in the NCAA tournament for the first time ever in uh, program history. And uh, we think Rutgers history. Field hockey team uh, defeated Delaware 2-1 to one in the first round last Friday. And then in a penalty shootout, really the worst way to have your season end against number nine, Liberty who did come in uh, the top scoring team in the country, averaging four goals a game. Rutgers held a, they trailed early, one nothing. They scored two goals. Milena uh, Redlinghover and Gianna Mancini had goals in the third quarter. Rutgers had a lead with just over three minutes to play in the fourth quarter. Liberty scored and unfortunately uh, went into uh, overtime and was unable to, had several chances, had three different penalty corners, could not break through ended up losing in the penalty shootout. Co-Big Ten Player of the Year, All-American Gianna Glatz, was the only keeper to make a save, but unfortunately Rutgers missed two shots and lost 4-2 in the shootout. An amazing season. Uh, the best season in Rutgers field hockey history, finished 19-4, had uh, 13 ranked wins, five in the top 10, second place finish Big Ten, first Big Ten championship, uh, tournament championship in program and school history. Meredith Civico's team, uh, her 10th season, Really accomplished so much. And believe it or not, all four top seeds in the NCAA tournament, all from the Big Ten, all lost in the quarterfinals. Two Big Ten teams made it, Northwestern and Maryland, fifth and sixth place teams in the conference. So it just speaks to how difficult and strong that conference was. Uh, and Rutgers really had a remarkable season. I have to uh, just say the seniors that we had on last week, uh, Katie Larimore, uh, Carrie Burns, and Gianna Glatz, uh, great representation for Rutgers over the years and really elevated this program to new heights. Looking forward to seeing what Maris Civico can do moving forward. A lot of young talent on that team. Uh, now, women's soccer won their first round game against Bucknell last weekend. They won two to nothing, uh, could have been six to nothing, had over 30 shots in the game, but they, they played aggressively, which I think is what we wanted to see. After the Big Ten championship loss to Michigan, when they lost one nothing, they really came out and asserted the action. They now host St. Louis this Friday night, 5 p.m. at Eurosac Field. They upset uh, number 17 in the country, Ole Miss, uh, this past weekend. Uh, the good news for Rutgers, Gabby Provenzano, captain, uh, really leads the defense, the anchor of the defense. Uh, she hurt her, her knee in the Big Ten championship, but ended up playing 90 minutes in the first round against Bucknell. Really good sign there. And this team has uh, obviously high aspirations for the, uh, in the Cincinnati tournament. And looking ahead, potentially could have a rematch with Princeton in that Sweet 16, a team 
that they were winning against three to one and lost four to three early on in the season. So something to keep an eye on. Winter sports have now uh, kicked off this past week. Men's basketball, 3-0 start. Mixed results have trailed at the half in all three of their games against inferior competition. Step it up against the biggest opponent in the Gavit games on Thursday against DePaul. The encouraging part is Ron Harper Jr., Gio Baker, Cliff Amorori have all shown uh, signs of really elevating their games this season. Obviously, con- concerned with Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell. Uh, really shooting pretty poorly, uh, but I thought they both played much better in the win over NJIT and and bring other things to the table. But obviously, you have to get things figured out from an offensive perspective. Shooting really has been terrible uh, so far. Also, some really solid bench contributions from Andre Hyatt and Jaden Jones. Also saw uh, Ralph uh, Gonzalez AG have a, a good game against NJIT. So definitely uh, something to look for on Thursday night against Paul. Big game for them. Women's hoops, three and one start, uh, just lost to Stony Brook at home in a matinee on Tuesday. They're struggled offensively as well. You know, six, six transfers, eight newcomers, Steve Irving Stringer, not part of the program right now on a leave of absence. It's looking like a tough, tough start uh, for them. Uh, they go to uh, the um, Virgin Islands next week, play three high major teams. So uh, we'll have to watch and see what they do there. Wrestling's off to a 6-0 start, ranked number 12 in the country. Lots of good stuff there. And then really wanted to focus now on two games to go. Rutgers 5-5, five and five, one win away from bowl eligibility for the first time since 2014. And now they get to go to Happy Valley and play Penn State, who are reeling, have lost four of the last five. James Franklin's job, uh, well, we're not really sure what to make of his situation. Uh, his name being speculated quite a bit for some other jobs, but this is a certainly an intriguing spot for Rutgers to be in. Really going there with nothing to lose but everything to play for. You get the win against Penn State, you're bowl eligible. Uh, Penn State, you know, how motivated are they to finish out the season after being ranked number four in the country? Now they're six and four. You know, it's it's a really intriguing game. I do think that. Last season, despite it being a COVID year, one takeaway that um, I'm not quite sure how much has changed in terms of the difference in the uh, trenches for both Penn State and Rutgers. Penn State physically dominated Rutgers in that game in a way that we really haven't seen since Greg Schiano has been back. Can that be different this weekend? Remains to be seen. I do think for some, uh, as much as Penn State fans want to downplay caring about playing Rutgers, it does seem over the years that Penn State, for whatever reason, does get up for playing against Rutgers. And I think James Franklin has negatively recruited against Rutgers for years. And they do set, tend to, to kind of rise up when they play Rutgers and play. Uh, there's been some close games over the years, but for the most part, Penn State's dominated the series. So to preview that game, as well as Maryland, the final two regular season games, and to uh, discuss whether we think Rutgers does have a chance to make a bowl game, as well as several other uh, Rutgers-related topics. Welcome back to the podcast. Keith Sargent of NJ Advanced Media. Always great to talk to Keith about Rutgers sports, and we welcome him in now. It's my pleasure to now welcome back to the On the Banks podcast. NJ Advanced Media, Rutgers beat reporter, been on the beat for 20 years now, covering Rutgers even more. Keith Sargent, thank you so much for being back. Aaron, why do you always bait me? Why do you always have to mention the 20 years? I mean, come on. I, I thought we were, we were pals, buddy. 
Well, I, I, I do it as a way to, you know, you're kind of like the Yoda of Rutgers, uh, Rutgers sports. So I, I, I think Yoda, you, Yoda lived at like 900 something years. I could, I, I could live with that. I could, you know, <laughs> it was meant to be a compliment. If I'm on the beat in like year 850, then, then, then we, we might be in trouble. <laughs> I, I definitely think you'll outlive, uh, Steve Politi, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> Jumping in now, uh, last week. You know, I, and it kind of ties into why I did bring up that you've been on the beat so long. You've obviously seen a lot of, of Rutgers football. Not that beating a winless team in Indiana is improbable, but the way in which Rutgers did it, coming off the context of the week before, uh, the 52-3 to loss uh, to Wisconsin, one of the worst losses we've seen in a long time. The fact that they came in and responded the way they did, how surprised were you, not just in that they won, but the way they did, and what was your biggest takeaway from the day? Biggest takeaway probably is, I mean, we, we've gone into this uh, for, since they really joined the Big Ten, we always said, well, the teams that Rutgers are going to struggle with are going to be the Blue Bloods and the Penn States and the Ohio States and the Michigans and Wisconsin. And, you know, they're going to have to, if they're going to ever go to a bowl game, the path to a bowl game would be to beat Maryland and to beat Indiana. And, and, you know, and, and if, if they have a crossover like an Illinois or Northwestern to hold their own against those those types of teams. Well, now they're starting to do that. Now you, you saw two weeks ago, they, they win at Illinois, convincing win there. Then they go back, they lose to one of those blue bloods, like I said, Wisconsin. And then they follow up by beating Indiana, the type of game where, again, Rutgers, I mean, I guess, according to the odds makers and uh, that, you know, they, they, they were underdog. But those are the types of games that Rutgers needs to win. You know, I, I I thought you know the way they won it was was, was a little surprising the, the the win going away like that. But you know, in order to uh, to make the step and to evolve as a program, they're going to have to hold their own against those types of teams. And one thing I wanted to ask you, just in terms of of this season, obviously five and five heading into the final two weeks of the season, irregardless of of that and the bowl potential, this season's had you know you you've actually covered this before in terms of needing that moment that big win to kind of, ca- uh, you know, capture the fan base. It's been 12 years since they've beaten a ranked foe, um, but there really have been moments within moments this season. Uh, you know, I think back to Michigan when they had the four three and outs, um, you had the, the drive against Illinois when Winsett uh, and, uh, and the federal, you know, had that run. I feel like that was really memorable. And then now you beat Indiana with your three starting linebackers, not there. You know, how how much has that been different this season? Has it stood out to you just covering the team over the last, you know, really since Shiano left in terms of uh, aside from how they finished, just having actual moments to remember in a season? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, I think it kind of reminds me a little bit of his first uh, tenure where, where, where they would have those types of now. Uh, one would argue that they're still waiting for that signature win. Right. I mean, that top 25 win. And Penn State's not 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 uh, ranked right now. Uh, they fell out of the rankings, but that would certainly be a, a, a signature win. I, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit about that game uh, going forward. But you know, as far as you know, the moments. I mean, I go back early on. Probably the Syracuse game was 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 a game early on in the year where could have gone either way. They really, uh, you know, they buckled down. Tough environment. You always look at well. How good is Syracuse at the time? Syracuse has turned out to be pretty good this year. So as you look more into it, I think that win kind of kind of catapulted them, allowed them to go three and zero in non-conference. That was their first goal of the season to go unbeaten in non-conference. I really gave them an opportunity to to uh, maybe get potentially bowl eligible. 
let's jump into Penn State. Obviously, uh, agree that you know it's not a ranked opponent, but I think uh, you could. Well, it'll be fun to argue next week if they do beat Penn State. Uh, would it count as a signature win? I think it's no secret that over the years, James Franklin has, has you know recruited negatively against Rutgers. I think it would obviously uh, be a huge win in that regard on the recruiting trail. Spoiler alert, I know you're really positive on Rutgers going to Penn State and winning this game. Why don't you just explain kind of your what you're thinking and what you see in this matchup? Here's what I'll say about that. Okay. Everyone knew I, you know, I laid it out. I, I didn't wait till normally our picks come out on Thursday. Um, I did not wait until uh, t- uh, then. I, you know, it, again, spoiler alert, I, I picked Rutgers to win. Here's the thing it's a 17 point line. No way anyone can, can justify. I know Vegas should be, you know, they have people who are a lot smarter than we are, but there's no way that, you know, it's that big of a, uh, uh, should be that big of a spread just based on results, right? I go back to, Penn State lost at Illinois. You know, granted, it was just one of those funky games, but it was at home. They lost at Illinois. A week later, Rutgers beat Illinois. So again, Rutgers has held their own. You know, in a lot of these games that they're they're supposed to, you know, that that they're supposed to win. Penn State, you know, there's something going on. Uh, you have to the people who I've talked to down down at State uh, State College. We do have a sister paper out there. They all all think that you know, in, in, some, in some respects, James Franklin's in year eight, and then some. Uh, sometimes. At some point, people just tune them out, you know, or or not not saying that with 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 all players, but you know, there's a reason why they're ten and nine over the last uh, you know two years. That you know, this is, doesn't seem like an aberration right now. You know, I know they started off well. You know, at one point, I think they were high as number three in the country, but there's something wrong uh, with the program right now. We'll see this week. I mean, you know, Penn State has traditionally gotten up for 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 these Rutgers games. They're going to need a score. Rutgers has not scored more than a touchdown in any of these games. So they're going to need to, to, to uh, score some points. But, you know, I think it's going to just be one of those ugly, you know, gritty games that Rutgers is going to just be able to uh, gut out. And, you know, Penn State's really struggling running the ball right now. Do you think that the recipe for Rutgers to win is to kind of follow the formula that Illinois laid out, which is stop the run and be able to run against them? Definitely. Penn State's defense is good. Um, no surprise there. But, you know, if there is a, you know, a weakness, a vulnerability, it would be with the defensive line. You know, Rutgers is starting to, to find themselves from an offensive line standpoint. Last two weeks have been pretty good. You know, Isaiah Pacheco has been running uh, r- running better. That's going to be, the, you know, you're, you're right. On, on the offense, I cannot see a, a scenario where uh, where they rely on Noah Vedral to throw for 300 yards and win the game. They're going to have to have some balance. And I think they're going to really need to probably uh, run the ball. And then, you know, again, defensively, you know, <laughs> You know, they're going to need to get some turnovers. I mean, Graciano you know, has been talking about for years that, you know, when they're, you know, winning this turnover battle, namely that it's not by accident, you know, that, that people think that, you know, you know, well, I mean, you know, if you have a quarterback who on the first play to, uh, from scrimmage just drops a ball on a fumble exchange, you know, that, <laughs> that, but, you know, Rutgers pounced on it. So give him credit there. But, you know, there, there are uh, scenarios that, you know, they work on it every day in practice. I, I don't know if you've heard this, but the ball is a program. At this point, like I feel like the ball is the program, and like it, it, it like I, I go to bed at night. It's like the last, uh, you know, three words that are on my mind. So, you know, if it's seeping into my mind, it certainly has seeped into the players' minds. Talking about that, they, they so the five games without a turnover. It was the first time in what since two thousand nine, and I think six games. They haven't had six games without a turnover since ninety three. Yes, correct. So uh, I didn't lose my memory completely yet uh, with <laughs> kids, but. Uh, so I, you know, obviously that that would be a remarkable achievement, and I, I guess 
you know, we've talked about Vedro before. What, what has his, his uh, ability to kind of persevere, is that kind of his enduring legacy and what it will be in terms of if this team does ultimately make a bowl game? His legacy will be, and he's starting, if, if they get to a bowl game, that's going to be his legacy. His legacy is going to be, you know, that, that, that you know, he, he got them to a place that no one expected as a quarterback. Again, I think what I what I said after the game, and I and I truly believe that, you know, in a game like that where you know it's going to be a funky game right from the beginning, they get the turnover, um, you know, and then you know they're, they're just you could tell that the defense is, has come to play. There's there's energy. You can trust Noah Vedral to not do anything stupid and not give up the ball. I mean, he has had some games where, he, where where he's thrown up some interceptions. If you look at some of those games, those are the games where you know that they're going to need to to throw the ball a little bit more. But you know, in a game like this, and I'm I'm thinking that the Penn State game is going to be uh, similar to Indiana game from the standpoint that you know I don't think that either team is going to uh, go for you know 30 points. I don't think it's going to be this wild shootout. I think there's going to be this ugly game where ball control and you know, I think Noah Vedral, you know, is the type of quarterback that uh, Rutgers can win with in, in, in a game like this. So I have to read it to you. I don't know if you saw this tweet, but just a, uh, a secret weapon that Rutgers might have going into this. Did you see the, the Reddit uh, college football tweet about Penn State? I did not. No. So I, I'll read it now for everyone. McClare Benson's on Reddit, a Penn State fan. Uh, and I know you're a Seinfeld fan, so I had to bring it up. <laughs> USC must have told Franklin that they can hire him, but only if they don't have to pay the buyout. So he's like George Costanza trying to get fired. A home loss to Rutgers may well be the scene where George drives around <laughs> dragging the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> driving the, yep, I love it. <laughs> so who knows? I, I, I love uh, the craziness there. Last question on Penn State and talking to your colleagues down there. What What is the vibe on Franklin right now? Do you think he survives this? Uh, you know, he's the coach next season. Let's put it that way. Oh, um, that's two questions. I don't think he's getting fired. You know, it, it, the last couple of weeks, the vibe is like it's been really weird in press conferences, right? I mean, he had one week where he forgot who the, the upcoming opponent was. Um, <laughs> you know, he's bristled. I mean, he's always kind of been you know, dismissive to, to questions, but he's been a little bit more, bris- uh, you know, he's bristled a little bit more. I know, <laughs> I mean, I think it might be the worst kept secret in college football that he wants one of these jobs. I do <laughs> think, I do think that the carousel is going to be spinning uh, more than a lot of people probably thought at the beginning of the year, Florida, maybe uh, Miami, LSU certainly uh, is a possibility as well. And then USC. Um, so some, there's going to be some really good jobs and James Franklin, look, I mean, you have to look at the overall body of work and, you know, some of the challenges that they had when he, when he first took over the overall body of work. I, I know there, there's people out there with the perception that he, you know, he can't win the big game, but yeah, uh, you know, the overall body of work, I think has been, has been good. He's the type of guy that I think he's going to interview. Well, you know, he's charismatic there. You know, I think they have one of the top, you know, two or three recruiting classes in the country right now, whether he can hold it or not. I don't know based on, you know, the recent results, but you know, he's obviously a proven recruiter. So He's going to be a guy that a lot of ADs are going to want to, uh, you know, talk to. So did want to touch on the Maryland game as well with Thanksgiving coming up next week. Win or lose against Penn State, you have a chance to get to that sixth win against Maryland. Um, You know, I I feel like in a way fans are maybe a little overconfident about this game. I feel that style wise Maryland, you know, is a little bit different and uh, could cause some problems with their quarterback. Uh, you know, how, how do you look at that matchup uh, a week out ahead of time? 
I go one one game at a time, Aaron. I'm sorry, man, but you're we're, we're we're trying. You're trying to trick me into trap me into the. No, um, you're going one and zero this week. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll try to go one and zero on this answer. The concern with Maryland is going to be the you know do they have athletes and you know that, that that's the one thing. Like I, I again I think. Where, where you saw Rutgers really struggle against Wisconsin, you know, a couple of weeks ago was, you know, both sides of the ball in, in, in the trenches. I mean, they were, you know, manhandled, right? Maryland's not going to do that. You know, I'm pretty confident, you know, uh, you know, the, to, to say that Rutgers will hold their own up front. You know, it's just, you know, Rutgers, look, they don't have on the defensive end, you know, the, the, the type of, you know, speed to, to match up against an Ohio State or – Maryland has really recruited well and, you know, where Maryland has beaten Rutgers and, you know, in the past and the series has been relatively even, but where, when Maryland does uh, beat them is because they just have so many athletes. So that's going to be one of those things where, again, I'm not dismissing the uh, dodging the question. I haven't really sat down to to actually look at, you know, uh, some of the skill, but you know, that's the one thing that stands out to me is, you know, whether or not Rutgers is going to be able to match up with them from a skill standpoint. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the the speed factor could be a problem. I, I think just the way Maryland plays, it's it's not uh, it's not the type of team that Rutgers usually matches up well against. Um, but I do think that I, I I think I may say said this to you before. I feel like the Maryland coaching matchup with Loxley. I, I think back to right. South Florida with Jim Levitt, the yep. way Shiano just dominated him year after year, and I I, I kind of think that there could be something going on there too. The uh, other one is that. You know, there's something going on with Rutgers not being able to win at home. And I know Graciano has kind of tried to say, well, it's, you know, the schedule and, you know, you know, but it's 19 games now. And we're, you know, dating back to, to 2017, the last team, ironically, who they did beat at home was Maryland. And I think it was November uh, or uh, late October of 2017. So there is something to it. I mean, they, they have, are not beating Big Ten uh, teams, you know, at home. So, you know, I don't I'm not expecting a huge crowd. But, you know, I, I also don't know if, uh, you know, Maryland's going to bring a whole lot of fans. So they're just going to have to you know, win one of these games at home. You know, so two games to go. I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on Gavin Winsett. Obviously, he, he didn't play much in Indiana at all. Uh, I think the conditions of the game, the way it was going, you know, probably led to that. But is this potentially, you know, thinking back, you know, Penn State, probably everybody thought a few weeks ago, that's probably not a game you want to play him. Is this now maybe kind of a, a wrinkle X factor that you throw in that game that could be a, a, a game changer? There is a plan for Gavin Winsett. What or with the quarterbacks in general, I just don't know. No one knows what it is. If you, you know, if there's no one who could really figure it out, what I can say is fairly confident, just based on what we know of, of being facts that Evan Simon, um, he is at the four game mark. Maybe Evan Simon, uh, red shirts and doesn't we don't see him the rest of the way. I think you know, we'll see uh, Williams at at least one, one of these next two games. Maybe they save him for a potential bowl game. Because I know, you know, you know, Greg, Greg Schiano salivating at the idea of having all those bowl practices, and you know, he would probably like nothing more than to to uh, showcase them in a bowl game. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know if you're going to hold him out for one of these two games. It would probably make sense that you would hold him out at Penn State and just let Noah Vedral uh, try to try to win it. So, shifting gears a little bit, it, it is hoop season. I want to get to that before I do. I wanted to bring up something that that came up this week. Um, that I, you know, NorthJersey.com, they came out with another report. They've, they've had a couple this fall, um, and really kind of gave this impression that, um, the athletic department is, is plotting this practice facility for football. 
uh, I think the, use, the word they used was quietly. Um, when most of us, first of all, credit to you, I mean, you've reported on a lot of this over the years with the, you know, the debt that the department is in and just the, the uh, tickets. Uh, you, you do a great report every year on attendance. Um, I feel like they're really just <laughs> uh, really piggybacking off all your reporting. But that being said, I guess for all of us that, that cover the team, but also so many fans, I mean, it's really the least surprising thing to know that when Greg Schiano got hired, I mean, he's on the record talking about it. Hobbs is on the record talking about it. What are your thoughts in terms of this idea that, you know, they're, they're plotting this practice facility behind the scenes when in reality it's been out there for a couple of years now? Yeah, Rutgers, uh, with regards to their goal of upgrading and building new facilities, is about as quiet as like Chris Farley was back on, uh, during his uh, SNL <laughs> heyday. You know, I mean, they are basically trumpeting. Look, I mean, if there's ever any other clear cut is, you know, the, the contract of the Grac uh, Graciano says right there that, you know, that they need to do this massive upgrade, uh, you know, to the to the football uh, facility. And, you know, it's in a contract. And then, you know, the Jersey, <laughs> the Jersey Mike's naming race contract. Uh, it's in the contract, which, you know, we, we, we broke the, the, the story on after we obtained the contract. So, you know, they are, they're not making any secret. Look, you know, we're, and we, I've written a lot of these financial stories. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've written on both sides of it and, you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, from the financial, you know, from the Mark Killingsworths of the world and, and other faculty people and, and union, you know, they, they want Rutgers to be self-sustaining. It's never going to happen. So once you get beyond that, it becomes a matter of, you know, how are they going to pay for it? We don't know. We, we you know, we don't know how it's going to, how much it's going to cost at this point. Yeah. You know, I've heard uh, di different figures. I think it'll be more than a 150 million that, um, you know, that's in the Greg Ciano contract. That's for sure. Especially if you're going to do the uh, basketball arena, but right now, you know, th th we do know that there's going to be a physical master plan, you know, and you know, uh, maybe before the end of the year, and then once you see that, that that'll be, you know, basically a blueprint of what they want to build. That'll include, you know, Pat Hobbs has said, he's told us and told me I've reported it. That'll include the football, um, you know, indoor practice facility and, and uh, presumably a headquarters along with upgrades to the rack or, well, the Jersey Mike's arena and, you know, potentially, you know, other improvements around, uh, you know, baseball, softball and, uh, you know, some, some other sports. So, it's going to be really an ambitious uh, blueprint. No one knows it's going to cost, but the, the idea that they've been quietly plodding along and uh, like, you know, behind everyone's back, it could not be further. I mean, quietly is, is you know, it's <laughs> is not accurate. Well, thank you for that. I, I did want to, I, do you think just talk, uh, last question on this with the master plan, you know, it has, they've been talking about releasing it. It's never, it hasn't been released yet. Do you think there's any chance that maybe they are working to raise a certain amount of money to have to be able to announce when they have this master plan out there for the public to say that they're at a certain point rather than start from zero? Possible. I just think that, you know, th there's a chance that they, they also might be thinking that we need to put this, um, you know, uh, plan out and raise money around that. That's what they did uh, back in, in 2016. They actually, you know, put out what they wanted to do. And then they tried to, uh, they did the, uh, you know, hundred million dollar um, fundraising around what they wanted to build. I think it was a little bit easier to kind of sell that vision. So my gut tells me, I mean, look, we, we, we've been through a challenging time in a lot of ways with COVID, but um, what they would tell you is, you know, it was really impacted their ability to fundraise because, you know, obviously the economy, you know, for the most part has been down. So you know, I, I think they're going to put out what they want to build first and then they'll be, be able to kind of fundraise around that.
a couple more for you, Sarge. So transitioning to hoops, uh, obviously 3-0 as we talk ahead of uh, Thursday night's matchup against DePaul uh, in Chicago. Uh, obviously a little bit of a rocky start, uh, taking uh, Lehigh taking them to overtime, trailing by uh, Merrimack by seven at the half, uh, and then a, a better effort against NJIT. But, you know, they're obviously uh, haven't played to the level we expect or hope they will. However, I did want to bring up to you just the level of concern that there seems to be across the fan base. And I wanted to take it a step farther with, do you think it's, I guess the way I look at it is Peichel, he wins the NCAA, first NCAA tournament game in 38 years in March. In April, there's a, a pretty vocal part of the fan base that's basically, for lack of better description, freaking out over the transfer portal uh, and the transfers that left the program. Then you have just in terms of recruiting overall, people really doubting uh, what he's doing. You have the start that he's had this year. It just seems to me, is there a portion of the fan base that you think doesn't give him the same benefit of the doubt that Greg Schiano gets? Obviously, Schiano deserves it, but has Peichel done enough to deserve it as well? So here's what I'll say about that. One, I mean, we saw it last year too. I mean, we talked about it on our podcast, I, I, you know, that, you know, if they didn't get to the NCAA tournament, and, and again, it was close, you know, late in the regular season, they needed to win at Minnesota in order to solidify it, that he wasn't going to be on a hot seat. I mean, Pat Hodge wasn't going to, but he, he was going to take, it was going to be an uncomfortable offseason for him, right? And this was coming off of the year before, and granted, there was no NCAA tournament, but by all rights, it, it should have been in the NCAA tournament. So he had built some equity at that point. So look, I mean, it's the nature of the beast, right? So in some ways, you know, if you're going to be honest about it, Steve Heichel hyped up the fan base by by telling anyone who will listen. Other than NorthJersey.com, I think they might might be saying that he <laughs> quietly predicted that it would be the best team ever. But in, all, <laughs> in reality, he told everyone that this is going to be his best team. So you, you look at the early results and, and, you know, it's been a little lackluster. Wins are wins. You know, DePaul will be interesting. If, if there's one thing that you would say is, you know, the concern, do, are they playing down to their opponents? Look, I mean, you know, I think he still needs to figure out his rotation. He's going to, he's certainly not, not going to play, you know, 10, 11 guys. I think he's going to, you know, in a perfect world, he's going to try to get down to eight or nine. Once he figures, figures out the rotation and, and, and settles down, you know, it gets Paul Mulcahy comfortable as a true point guard. I think he'll be fine. And I think that is, that is a, a good point in terms of that some people don't maybe take into account is that I think he, part of why he schedules perceived soft is to be able to experiment and use different rotations and different lineups and maybe toys with things more than, than other coaches do to, to kind of assemble. It was, if you look back two years ago at that team that won 20 games, I mean, they're trending very similarly in terms of the way the results were, their, their Ken, Ken Palmer ranking. It really took them about 10 games into the season until they became that team that, that won 20 games in the Big Ten. Yeah, that's true. Um, issue is going to be the non-conference. How much is the non-conference going to really prepare him for? I mean, the Seton Hall is going to be, you know, showing that you know, that could be. A, someone told me today they they they, they think they could be a, you know elite sixteen, you know, t- uh, elite eight type, uh, level good. So you know, at this point, again, I think we're 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 going to see kind of a feeling out uh, period over the next couple of weeks. The Seton Hall game is going to be obviously the big uh, litmus test heading into the Big Ten. I know you are more of a hoops head than people realize. So I, I am. I like that. I, 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 look, I'm not Jerry Carino, but Jerry would tell you, like, uh, like I, I, we, he and I were like, you know, arm in arm on that beat for a long time. And I cut my teeth on basketball before football. 
so I have to ask you because you've done amazing reporting on this and uh, it's a really bizarre situation, but is there any way that see Vivian Stringer, the, the, the situation with all this, I, I know we can't predict the future, but I, it just has the feel of a, a very uncomfortable situation. And, and even if she does return for the following season, I mean, how does this play out in, in, in your, your thought process? It's hard for me to imagine her coming back um, a, a year out. How does it play out? Hearing from, from people inside, I don't know. I mean, I think Tim Eatman has an opportunity to, to, to prove himself. I don't think you know, he has a great hand that he was dealt, uh, certainly from, from a chemistry uh, standpoint of, of, uh, you know, of Vivian, you know, basically, you know, announcing this at, you know, right on the eve of the season, um, you know, losing to Stony Brook doesn't, doesn't look good either. Right. So, you know, he, he the good thing that Timothy even has, is he has an opportunity to prove, prove himself. The bad part is I don't think he has a, a team that, that looks top level big 10 good. So, you know, I think it's gonna be a challenge for him. I think is going to, you know, the odds, if, if I was a betting person, you know, to, to, to sit here and say that I think Vivian Stringer will be the coach in 2022-23. I can't, I can't say that I would, uh, I, I would like those odds. And I think, you know, based on Pat Hobbs's, uh, you know, you know, past experiences, I think you would probably open it up again, you know, giving Tim Eatman every opportunity to, uh, you know, prove himself uh, during the season. Keith Sargent and Jay Advanced Media, always love talking Rutgers with you, but I'd be remiss. I, I did want to end it, if you don't mind. I wanted to plug your story from last week, um, your unbelievable article uh, talking about your father on Veterans Day. Um, it really was an incredible read, and uh, it's called My Father Was a War Hero, Saved Lives, and I Never Knew. So uh, if anyone hasn't read it yet, I hope they Google it. And, uh, you know, I just think for, for what you did for people that had a similar experience or, you know, people that, that are veterans or, you know, people that – uh, maybe have complicated relationships with their father. Uh, you know, someone like me, I it meant a lot. And uh, thank you for writing it. You're a class act, Aaron. And the, the response has been overwhelming. Like you said, I mean, the amount of veterans who, you know, namely who have uh, reached out to me, it, it's been overwhelming. So thank you. Uh, thank you for doing that. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being back. And uh, should be should be a fun fall into winter with Rutgers Sports. And uh, thanks for thanks for being back. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks so much to Keith Sargent for being back with us to discuss Rutgers football. Also got in some hoops talk as well and the master plan with facilities. One of the best resources you could, you could talk to about Rutgers sports and everything that's going on. Really appreciate his time. It is an exciting time heading in now a week out from Thanksgiving Rutgers football with a chance to go to a bowl game for the first time in seven years. Uh, and I, one point I did want to make before we go is that, you know, no matter what happens these final two weeks, I really believe that progress has been achieved this season. Obviously, we all hope for more progress before the season is completed. But worst case, they finish five and seven with the way they, they've won certain games. I, I wrote this week, you know, in the six games that, that were winnable for Rutgers so far, if you take out the three top 10 uh, ranked foes and uh, Wisconsin, who were ranked in the top 25 as well probably win the West Division. Rutgers is 5-1. and one. So I think going into the season, if you said of their six winnable games so far, if you can go 5-1, and one, you'd be happy. And that's where they're at. So I think Penn State, I don't think you can qualify as a winnable game. I think we know they can win, but I think the odds are against them. Maryland, certainly a winnable game. I think style-wise is, uh, you know, potentially an issue, but I really like the coaching uh, matchup there with Shiano versus Loxley. So certainly an exciting time here. 
Uh, following Rutgers Sports, please make sure to visit onthebanks.com, OTB underscore SB Nation at Twitter. We'll be covering all the sports throughout the holiday weekend. We'll be back with this podcast the week after Thanksgiving here at On The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.